0: This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in. How many of you have ever been to a wedding and wondered why? Like, you weren't, you weren't related to the people getting married. You may have known them, but you weren't necessarily close friends with them. And you sat there and wondered, why am I here? Like, how did I get here? Or maybe more so, it's like this. You've been to a wedding, and you look across the way, and you see somebody else, and you say, how did they get here? <laughs> like, who do they know? Like, they're not family either. How, how did they get here, to this place? Years ago, I reveal my age, which is quite well-known, years ago, late uh, 80s, 90s, there was a movement, a worldwide Christian movement um, called March for Jesus. Um, It took place in many, many countries around the world, Uh, many large cities, small towns, all had marches for Jesus. They were not... um, Protests, they were demonstrations where people of all different denominations came together to acknowledge their commitment, their allegiance to Jesus as Lord. There was no preaching, there were no speeches. People just sang songs of praise and they held up banners and they worshiped Jesus. They would march through the city, march through the town. And they would acknowledge Jesus. And again, the key factor of this was there's no real organization. People from all denominations joined together. Um, We held several of these in one of the communities I was in. It was always marvelous for me to see people of all different denominations calling upon Jesus and recognizing Jesus. One Saturday morning, the day of our march, I was in the church working, and a young man from the church, a teenager was in the church uh, doing some music practice or something like that. And somehow we got talking about the march for Jesus that afternoon, and he said he wasn't going, and he didn't believe in it. I said, you don't believe in it? Why? And he explained to me that he had been talking to another man from a different church, an older man, and that man suggested to him... That at the march for Jesus, there might be some Christians who didn't fully live the life the way he thought they should live. In other words, it would be a bad testimony for us to join hands with people who are not perfect Christians. I have to be honest with you. I got mad, really, really mad that a teenager in my church thought somehow we could be superior to others who called themselves Christians. I wasn't so much mad at him. I was mad at the older gentleman who indoctrinated him to say somehow there were Christians who were better than other Christians. I have to tell you, I was really upset. Um, Down through the years and down through time, there have always been those who hold fairly exclusive views uh, of the church as opposed to being inclusive. Frankly, if we're honest, some people feel like they don't belong in church. Some people feel like they shouldn't be here or that they're not welcomed in the church throughout the month of september our theme has been you belong here we've been talking about it every week this month and we've been reminding ourselves of course that people or i should say that god has a pretty inclusive view of the church that he does not shut people out the way we sometimes do, but that rather he always issues an invitation that says you're welcome to everybody. He's not exclusive. The membership of the church is not exclusive when I say coming to worship God. It's pretty inclusive. One of the great stories of the Bible is found in Luke chapter 14, and it's a parable of Jesus that Jesus tells, and I thought we could read it together. Uh, I've made the print light and dark. I'll read the lighter print, and you can read the darker print. Would you stand with me in recognition of the Word of God, and let's read God's Word together? This comes from Luke chapter 14. I'll start reading. Jesus replied, "A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time." But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. May God bless his word to our hearts. You may be seated. People who had been invited to the banquet began to make excuses that they couldn't come to the banquet. And I'm not going to preach on this subject, I'm not going to explain it, but you who have sense, any sense at all, can understand that the excuses were pretty lame. I bought a field, and I'm going to go see it. How many people buy a field without first seeing it? Uh, i bought some oxen, and I'm going to go try them out. I bought a Chevy truck, but I haven't driven it yet. I just bought it. I'm going to go see what it's really like. Or the one I can maybe understand is, I just got married and I can't come. My wife won't let me. (laughs) I didn't say that. Um, That one I can understand a little bit. But they began to make excuses about why they couldn't come. And Jesus in the story says, that they are to go out and they're to invite everyone, even people who might not normally be invited. Understand that the people that are mentioned here, the people with personal disabilities, the blind, the lame, the halt, all that kind of thing, their disabilities put them on the lower scale of social structure. They, they were beggars, they would not be welcome most places. And here this master of the great feast says, go out and invite everybody, regardless of who they are, regardless of what their disabilities, bring them in. They belong in my house. And they do, and the servant says there's still room, and and the master says, go out everywhere and compel them. Bring them in to the house of God. This is a picture meant to be a picture of the kingdom of God and what God wants for his people. In the Old Testament, not all of David's followers were of the elite of society. Many of you know that David was anointed to be the king of Israel. David the giant killer. David the, the young boy, the shepherd. He was anointed to be king. And that's a great opportunity and a great privilege. But Of course, the current king didn't like it. Saul didn't like it. And so he began a campaign to get rid of of, uh, David. As I was studying last night, I had to think of um, Jason Bourne being hunted down like a dog. That's David. Everywhere he goes, Saul is on his tail, chasing him, wants to kill him wants to destroy him. And David's running for his life. And in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we read that um, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. David was out living in a cave in the desert. His family came to him But then anybody who was distressed or in debt or discontented came to follow David. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a great bunch of people. It doesn't sound like the elite of society. It doesn't sound like the people that you would want to be your leaders of your organization. These were people who were not wanted by anybody else. They were in debt, they were discontented, they were unhappy. They were distressed. Can you imagine what those board meetings sounded like? Can you imagine what it would be like to get this kind of group together? But those are the kinds of people that came to David. In fact, they became his core supporters. And he led the people, and of course, eventually he did become king and and led the nation in great ways. Throughout the Bible... God used unlikely people to work for him. And many of you have read this before. It's in your notes. It's not original with me, but it is true. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. Ruth was a foreigner. And John Mark was a quitter. And these are the people that become known as people of faith, and God used them in many ways, many miraculous ways. God has used people who look different. Samson never had a haircut a day in his life until Delilah. He looked different. He was not your normal-looking person, but God used him. John the Baptist didn't dress like everyone else. He wore camel skins and he ate grasshoppers. He was not normal. But God had a purpose for him. Some people acted differently. I mean, come on. Balaam talked to a donkey. And of course, he even used people that smelled differently. The Bible says that Lazarus stank. Uh, I'll give you, he had been dead for four days, so he, he had every right to be stinky. But that didn't keep him from being raised from the dead. My message is really, really simple today. Can God use you can God use people that you think would never belong in church? Absolutely. The moment we tend to become exclusive and think that we're the only ones is really the moment we've stepped out of God's will and don't understand God at all. The moment we somehow think that certain people can't march for Jesus with us, is really a sad day. Really a sad day. Sadly, the perception of some people is that we as Christians think we're better than others. And all indications point to the contrary. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, Jesus called 12 men to be his disciples. I won't read it. It's listed on the screen for you. You can see their names. And based on what we know about the disciples, some have suggested that most of the disciples really were not fit material to be leaders in the kingdom of God. This is not original with me. Uh, It was written many years ago. It's a satire, if you will. A memo to Jesus from the Jordan Management Consultants in Jerusalem. Dear Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and we've not only run the results through our computer but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It's the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it's our duty to tell you that Matthew, the tax collector, has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have some radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic-depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot to be your treasurer and right-hand man... All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture, sincerely yours. And if we're honest, most of the men that Jesus named as disciples, his leaders, really were not qualified. They all had problems. They all had areas in their life, character flaws. But then so do we. Consider Christ's invitations. Everyone who's thirsty, but all who are thirsty, anyone who's weary and heavy burdened, or go into the world and preach the the gospel to all creation. Doesn't sound very exclusive, does it? It's a fairly inclusive message. This thing that everybody's welcomed. And I think that includes each of us here. You know, when we say you belong here, we really mean that. And I believe Jesus means it too. And you know the wedding that you wonder why you're there? The Bible tells there's coming a day when there's going to be a great wedding a great feast in heaven when all people of all ages who put their faith in Jesus Christ are going to gather around. He calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you know what? I honestly think that when some of us get there, we take our seats amongst Abraham and Moses and Paul and Peter, some of us are going to say, How in the world did I get here? How did I get invited to this illustrious group? Why am I here? And it's at that time we'll understand the message of grace that it's God's mercy, His undeserved favor. It's not something you earned or something you deserved or somehow made you good enough to fit in with that crowd we'll understand that really none of us belongs there. Because of his grace, he invites us in. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your savior, you've never asked Christ to take complete control of your life, I really suggest you do it today. The invitation is open to all and to everyone. And if you'd like to speak to me or someone else here in the church, and ask how you can have a relationship with Christ, I certainly would recommend that. Before you leave, talk to somebody. We'd love to tell you about Jesus. The invitation is for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back, and they're going to sing a wonderful song based on the invitation of Jesus Christ that says, all who are thirsty can come. If you're here today and you're hungry for more of God, God has more for you. God wants to enter into a relationship with you. God has more to do in your life. God can use you in ways that you never dreamed possible. The invitation's open to all who are thirsty. All you need is to be thirsty for God, to want more of him. So would you stand with us as they lead us in worship and sing this great song, All Who Are Thirsty.